Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office supplies at huge savings? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 12.35 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer joining you. This is Oilers Now. Brought to you by our title sponsor, Digitex. We are going to head off to our Oilers Now headliner for Touchback Safety. Touchback Safety, a family business taking care of your family during uncertain times. Training sessions readily available. And we are pleased to welcome back to the show from the NHL Network, the number one pick in the 1983 NHL Draft, as well as longtime agent uh, with Octagon. And I'm actually going to ask a question about agency to get started. Brian Lawton. Hello, Brian. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Bob. How are you? Good. Uh, look, we've got a guy coming on tomorrow from Puckpedia. His name is Hart Levine. He's actually initially from Edmonton, and he did an agent's poll. And... Uh, in his poll, he, he talked about the worst two contracts for NHL teams out there. And uh, Milan Lucic and Brent Seabrook's contracts were number one and number two. Milan Lucic and Brent Seabrook are both represented by Jerry Johansson of Edmonton. Now, I might look at that and say, Jerry obviously knows how to get his guys good deals. <laughs> Uh, I like to get, I mean, it's just the poll. Um, you know, I think they talked, uh, maybe around 30 of the agents in the, uh, around the league. But what would your, as a guy with Octagon, what would your take on that be? Uh, would you have a bit of a chuckle, uh, knowing that the, the, the top two players that were concerned, uh, it's considered to have the worst two contracts for organizations moving forward both came from the the same agency and would that be a credit to the agency or would that be a criticism of the agency well i'd have to turn it i'm good friends with jerry and he does a terrific job i'd have to turn it into a little bit of giving him the gears and i'd say i'd throw Kerry price right in behind that too jerry it's a joke the contract you do <laughs> but the reality is jerry is trying to make the best deal he can and he really doesn't want to see anybody end up in that position. Uh, it's not a great spot for the player to be in. Obviously, you're thrilled to get paid the money. But, you know, as an agent, when you're doing deals, and I know Jerry well enough to know, he wants to get a great deal for his client. But he hopes every player outperforms it. It just doesn't always work out that way. Does it say something that in each situation... Certainly in the case of Seabrook and Lucic, and maybe lesser so with Carey Price, the players were advanced in age. And does Jerry's demeanor, like he is a guy that the GMs, you know, we've, you know, we've got Kevin Lowe, uh, Steve Tambellini, Greg Matavish, Pete Shirelli, Ken Holland over the last 12 years here at Edmonton. I've never heard one guy say one bad thing about jerry like and and he's got an agreeable personality and uh you know and i'm just wondering when you're seen as a deal maker 
Does that sometimes get you deals that maybe other guys that might be seen as more hardliners don't get? Uh, I, I think it helps. One thing I've enjoyed is I hated everybody else that was an agent when I was an agent, mostly because I knew they hated me. That's just the way the world rolls. But since I've been out of that business, and even yesterday I was talking to Pat Brisson. I happened to interview his son for this draft interview series. And uh, I enjoy my relationship much better with guys like Jerry Johansson and Pat Brisson, even Don Mann in Newport, uh, some of the groups I maybe battled with as an agent. The fact of the matter is, I had a wonderful conversation with Craig Oster uh, earlier last week about Alexandra Holtz, one of their kids. Uh, it's like I got this uh, reprisal when I was no longer an agent. It's okay to be friends with people that I have a lot in common with, and I've enjoyed that, quite frankly. Most of these guys are very good. Uh, they do a great job of representing their clients. There's still a few people that don't quite mesh with me, but that has more to do about my views in, in terms of how they handle their negotiations and they treat their clients, quite frankly. But that's more far and few between these days, certainly well, the other, now that I'm no longer an agent. Yeah, you know, Brian, the other the other thing is on this sort of stuff, uh, and it's, it's interesting. I had somebody say to me once, Bob, when you're in the media, you're there to be used and sometimes you use them and this person wasn't just referring to agents or players and i'm sorry i i kind of i don't like using people and i am opinionated and as a result brian there are going to be some people that don't like me and i i accept that like when for our listeners on the show they don't have to agree with my perspective on a lot of things. It's fine. You know, we're trying to have as compelling a show as possible. I like uh, differing opinions. I do like correct information. That is one thing that I'm a bit of a stickler on. I get frustrated when I don't. Like, I'll give you an example. Like, down in the States, like 30 years ago when I went to school, Brian, a lot of the most narrow-minded guys tended to be, and I'm, I'm going to specifically say guys, tended to be right of center now on campuses if there's a right of center speaker a lot of the 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 organizers and the protesters are left of center and try to block those those speakers for coming in and speaking and i think that's that's disappointing and it shows you that there's maybe a lack of tolerance and clearly it exists on both sides so my point in this is sometimes you just have to accept that other people have other opinions and do things differently than you do things. And that's just kind of life, isn't it? It is. And it's, I, I can't speak for Canada, but in America, it's founded on those very principles. You have to acknowledge somebody that's going to say things that you'll spend a lifetime opposing, but they have that right to acknowledge that. And in America, that turns into a lot of times being the burning of the flag. It's very controversial here. Uh, and yet, if you want a country that's built on democracy, it means freedom of speech. It's very difficult to handle. It's not easy, uh, but that's what I believe in. And uh, it, it's disappointing. I know exactly what you're talking about as you see some of the speakers that have been refuted by students at colleges. It's, it's just not the way I look at the world. I understand people's positions. Uh, you have the right to protest also, but... Uh, Ultimately, I'm a big believer in free speech. Uh, yeah, it, absolutely. I mean, there was a protest about three years ago at UC Berkeley, and 
And I want everybody to know right now, you're entitled to your own opinion. I wouldn't be caught in a MAGA hat, but, you know, there were there was a young woman caught in a MAGA hat, and another girl came up and maced her right in the face. And where I came from, that's assault. You, you, you shouldn't be allowed to do that sort of thing. And it's, uh, it was really disappointing to kind of see. Um you know, uh, we'll, we'll get her back on the rails here talking to hockey because everybody's got their perspective on what should happen. We have people texting the show on the Ashley Fine Floors text line. Uh, the premier of the province, Jason Kenny, just came out. And Ryan, you know the numbers here because I float those numbers to you. We haven't had a positive test in Edmonton in three days. We've had over 2,200 tests. One positive test in the last four days, close to 3,000 tests. 30 positive tests in the month of May in 20 days. Over 15,000 tests. We haven't had a death in Edmonton uh, in the month of May. Touch wood. Um, and the premier in the province is on board with a potential Edmonton bid. But we still have people that say, nope, we shouldn't be playing. And, and they're entitled to that opinion. Where is your headspace at right now? Uh, because you do talk to agents and you've got friends in the PA and you also work for the NHL Network. Where do you think we're at right now in all of this? Well, first off, that's a really compelling case that, you know, there is some there is some flexibility for Edmontonians to host this thing and to host it safely. I think it would be inaccurate to say that those numbers aren't incredible and good for everybody there. I like to read the tea leaves. I look around the world right now. I see the Belmont Stakes is going to go off on June 20th. Uh, the PGA is returning. NASCAR is already back. Um, you know, basketball is now opening up universally in the United States for voluntary workouts. Baseball is working on a hard plan to come back. You know, I think it's important that uh, we we take steps to keep moving in that direction. I don't see any reason why the NHL won't be back playing in certainly July. I'm not saying they'll be playing before then. They may be holding a training camp before then, but I do see hockey going on at that time and and in america sports are really looked at as as a godsend as a positive sign to getting back to normalcy something people desperately want to at least take a step towards so uh i see a lot of this happening and there's a lot of logistics to work out that's what we're finding out right now there are difficulties there are challenges you're never going to meet the needs of everybody that you're going to have to canvas to reopen these sports uh, particularly the team sports, but ultimately uh, I believe everyone will recognize it is in the greater good of the sport, but more importantly in the greater good of society of getting back to some normalcy. Let's just do it with some real thoughtfulness. You talk about the greater good. Does there need to be an approach from all parties involved on the hockey front? Like this is not the time, as an example, for your former agency brethren to perhaps attempt to capitalize because you know where I'm going and it goes both ways. It's not, you know what I'm saying? Like everybody, like we're in a situation here where the entire industry is going to have to rebuild a bit over the next couple of years. I think that's fair to say. Would you not agree, Brian? No doubt about it. We just don't know to what level yet we'll have to rebuild, but there will be rebuilding for the National Hockey League in lost uh, fans, revenue, status, you name it, just like there will be in, in the other sports. So now is not the time to be self-centered in the approach. If you're a hardliner on ownership side or conversely, if you're a hardliner on the agency side. 
I agree with that. It is not the time to be uh, pushing forward your personal agendas. Uh, we've had a lot of trouble with that in America politically. People trying to capitalize for both parties, not picking on either one here. Uh, and it's been difficult to watch. Sports needs to take a lead from that and understand that's not the direction to go. That doesn't mean you can't negotiate a new CBA now, which the NHL is obviously working towards, as is the NHLPA. Uh, but I think you have to do it with more care than normal. And to be honest with you, I, I continue to hear from both sides that cooperation has never been higher. And I'm very pleased to hear that because uh, if that wasn't the case, then I would be very doubtful that we would have hockey again. I wouldn't be nearly as bullish as I am. And I am very bullish that we will be back playing soon. Brian Lawton with the NHL Network, the number one pick in the 1983 NHL draft. Brian, how would your life have been different if Pat LaFontaine had gone number one? Do you think the pressure on you personally would have allowed you to grow differently at a younger age? Um, I obviously think about these things as anybody would. For me, my life would be different from hockey if I had slowed down, if maybe I had played in the Olympics and even a year of college hockey. That's how I think the biggest changes would have been in my life. Um, now, if Pat had gone first, which he certainly was more deserving than me, so were a lot of guys, particularly Stevie Eiserman stands out as well. Um, yeah, there's a lot of pressures that come with being selected first overall that don't come with being selected second or anywhere else. It's just a unique position. Um, for me, it was a little bit more heavy probably than normally because there hadn't been anybody that was born in the United States that had gone first. Uh, overall, though, uh, you know, my issues were more to do with starting early and quite frankly, not handling things as well as I should have. That's on me. It's important that I reconcile that stuff in my mind because it allows me to move forward in a positive way. And I've done that. Hasn't always been easy. I certainly struggled in my low 20s with the burden of being selected first overall and not meeting those expectations and being fully aware of it. Um, you know, it's why I marvel at a guy you know, like Wayne Gretzky, his ability to just handle everything for himself. But also, you know, I can remember him saying things about me that were so kind and so gracious. Uh, he just had a real unique ability to manage pressure uh, better than anybody else that I've ever seen in this sport. That's for sure. You've had a chance in your role with the NHL Network to talk to several of the top prospects. We spoke a bit last week about Alex, Alexis Lafreniere, who we both believe is the consensus number one pick. Uh, and he is an older kid, too. He's not, you know, he's, he's had some experience in Quebec. He's represented Canada. I want to ask you about Quinton Byfield, because I have a theory on... 
sort of the challenges that happen to guys when they go play for the Canadian World Junior Team. Maybe they play out of position a little bit. Uh, they're younger. It tends to be a 19-year-old tournament. And Canada is so deep in a year-in, year-out basis. I actually believe that it works against some Canadian players um, going into their draft. Uh, in other, I mean, like Connor McDavid's first appearance with the World Junior Team was as a 16-year-old. He spent a lot of time in the wing. He did not play center. It was the next year, which was his draft year, where he was in the middle. But he's the exception. Like him and Jay Bomeister played at 16 and at 17. Quentin Byfield, to me, Brian, and I've spoken to a couple of teams that are going to be uh, drafted on the top five. And I, I said, if it's me, I'm taking him number two all day, and I'm betting on the package. Do you, is there any merit to what I'm saying about the challenges of representing Canada and maybe in some situations working against some Canadian draft-eligible players? Uh, there absolutely is. I mean, Quinton Byfield basically ran into with what Alexis Lafreniere ran into the year before when he scored one goal in his five games in the World Juniors versus 10 points his second time around. Now, those two players are virtually nine months apart, almost a full year, but not quite. Byfield, one of the youngest players in the draft. Lafreniere, one of the oldest. You're betting on the premium of time that's going to be made up, and I have to say it's a pretty good bet. If I look at Quinton Byfield going back to the World Juniors next year, assuming that he doesn't play as a top two or three pick, because he will be selected in the top. A disastrous draft would be if he went fifth, and I don't think that'll happen. So he'll be a top five pick. And if you imagine what he'd be able to do in that tournament next year, it may not be the MVP like Lafreniere was this year, but it'll be significantly different than it was this current year for Byfield, who just, you know, quite frankly, like Lafreniere, he didn't get the top quality players to play with. He didn't get the minutes and the opportunity. He'll get that next year. He'll show much better. Teams are aware of this. Some guys buy into your theory 100%, Bob. Other people are going to look and say, I don't care if Lafreniere's a year older. He's the best player. I don't care if Marco Rossi who, quite frankly, was second in the CHL in points per game, won the OHL scoring title, uh, first European to do that since Radulov. Uh, first European ever, really, uh, in terms of countries. Radulov, of course, is a Russian. So, you know, there's a lot that goes on to it. I have talked to so many teams in the last few weeks here, and I'm blown away. The teams that you think are good organizations are so far ahead of the other groups right now for the draft. It would be better if they had the draft sooner for them. The ones that have really done their due diligence, that have taken advantage of the fact that it's not a combine year, so you get more time on Zoom with these kids. Uh, I think they're more prepared than ever. The teams that have been a little slow, that hadn't done much, um, and there's a number of them I could name, but I won't name them because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but... Uh, there's some teams that need to pick it up in terms of their interviewing and being on top of the draft. <laughs> Final question for Brian Lawton from the NHL Network. He's our Oilers now headliner for touchback safety. 
Brian, if the Edmonton Oilers, that's, I'm going to give you four players that they could potentially maybe move Yes, Yassipuliar before. Players that are in somewhat similar situations, maybe where they haven't taken off in their own organizations. Casey Middlestadt out of Buffalo. Henrik Borgstrom with Florida. Leas Anderson with the New York Rangers. Tyson Jost with the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, it's believed that, you know, maybe there would be some potential for movement with a couple of those guys. If you were Ken Holland, of those four players, who would you target? Uh the safest bet, but not the highest ceiling, would be Tyson Yost, in my opinion. Uh, Anderson would be the last of the group for me. I'll just rate it that I'm way. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, middle set and Borgstrom would be interesting. The size on Borgstrom in terms of the weight concerns me a little bit, um, but that's a you know that's a due diligence issue. You'd love to have a chance to talk to these kids. Casey Mills, that's from the next town over from me. I've known him since he was 14 years old. There's a lot there, but there's still a lack of seriousness that I would like to see about him being a pro. I didn't like the way he started his career in Buffalo when he finished the year, basically averaged a point for, you know, four or five games. Uh, and it just took a little wind out of his sails in terms of what he needs to do. So he's got to play a little catch up. So that would be my analysis. I know all these players well. Um, you know, and that, and those are the type of gymnastics that a guy like Ken Holland, if it sounds like I know these guys well, he'll know twice as good as me and his staff. And those, those are some real possibilities there, though. Those are scenarios, Bob, that I think would make sense for Jesse Pugliarvi, and they certainly would make sense for each of those players. That doesn't mean the teams want to do it. We're just talking hypothetically here. Brian, as always, we appreciate your time, and I look forward to chatting next week, okay? My pleasure, Bob. Be well. Thank you. That is Brian Lawton for the NHL Network. All season long, the Oilers Now Injury Report is brought to you by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. James H. Brown want you to stay safe but stay positive. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Kerry McCarthy. David Staples, Cult of Hockey, when we return on Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.